Welcome to Problem Addict, a weekly podcast about notoriously problematic pop culture icons from our favorite reality TV shows, past and present, music videos, movies, and everything in between. Hey, all you problematics. It's Eugene, the host of Problematic Pod. I want to thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and let's get started without any further ado. If you have not yet checked out the Housewives on Display podcast, I highly recommend it. J&J recently had me on as a guest, and we talked all things New Jersey and just how boring it was. But yeah, we had a really great time. They're two of my favorite podcasters. Go check them out. Give them a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Find them on Instagram, Housewives on Display. And if you haven't watched P-Valley yet, like, get into it. P-Valley is on Stars. It is probably one of the strongest ensemble casts on television right now, and um, it's really well done. I'm actually surprised how few people watch P-Valley, but I, I can't wait. I think the second season should be coming out later this summer. Um, so yeah, check it out. And uh, we have a lot to cover on this episode. We are going to go from HBO Max to Bravo to BET to Netflix, and maybe not even necessarily in that order. But I want to say that this is probably the best episode of Top Chef ever. Like, who cried? Honestly. I feel like I'm a little dead on the inside. (laughs) So it was hard for me to get emotional. (laughs) I don't think I cried, but I got teary-eyed quite a bit. And uh, if you did, that's okay. Uh, speaking of okay, the way Crystal Kung-Minkoff just replied okay to Sutton multiple times just shook me to the core. It's something I would do. Something that I think my mom has done to me, where you're just spitting out, okay, 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 okay. It's like almost heartless and cold, but it's also what else can you say in that? reaction like there's nothing else to say besides okay nod your head and acknowledge that you're listening to the nonsense that Sutton is spouting anyway it's like all jumbled in my notes but we're going to talk a little bit about instant hotel on netflix we're going to talk about bet presents the encore that show is so good we're going to talk a little bit about hbo eh, hbo max within the heights and then maybe we'll finish with Bravo's Top Chef. One thing I've noticed, and I don't think I've ever noticed this before, is when I'm watching, I can be watching Family Karma or maybe like Married to Medicine, and then Bravo will flash a promo like uh, Chiron that says, coming up next or watch soon, Bravo's Top Chef. And I don't ever think I've called it Bravo's Top Chef. It's just the show is called Top Chef. And then sometimes I'm watching Family Karma or something else on Bravo, and it'll say, like, coming up soon, Married to Medicine Atlanta. And I thought the other Married to Medicine was canceled, so isn't there only one Married to Medicine on air? Uh, uh, I don't know. But to call something Bravo's Top Chef on Bravo seems a little redundant, and calling something uh, Married to Medicine Atlanta when it's the only Married to Medicine airing on, like, broadcast Bravo right now seems redundant. 
Did you watch In the Heights? I bet you did. I bet a lot of people watched In the Heights. Here I go. Okay, so In the Heights, I thought the music was great. 96,000 is a superb number. But I felt like there was a little bit of, I guess, just flat-out colorism in In the Heights that I felt very uncomfortable with watching because I, as a half-black, half-Korean American man, uh, never, I mean, I've lived in Washington Heights and I felt really at home in Washington Heights. And it took me a few days, a few good nights sleep to realize why I felt so comfortable in Washington Heights. I'm a brown skinned man. Um, I guess you could call me like Mariah Carey esque, I guess. And maybe I'm just a little bit darker than Mariah. I've always felt like an outsider in white circles or most American circles. I feel like an outsider in Asian circles as well. But when I'm in Washington Heights, I feel so at home because I kind of blend into a vaguely ethnic, you can't tell like the ethnicity, my race, um, you can tell I'm othered, obviously, but I never really felt like an outsider in Washington Heights because there were other skin tones like mine, multiple skin tones like mine. When I lived in Washington Heights, I always felt like I was light-skinned. That means, like, culturally I was vaguely different. I was brown, but I'm not Latin. I'm not Hispanic. But I'm definitely some form of brown or black. It was like never asked what I was, unlike other neighborhoods filled with mostly white people who always wanted to know what I was and like what my background was. And they always asked me directly, like, what are you? Who are you? Like, where are you from? That's my lingering issue with, I think, in the Heights. It didn't look like the Washington Heights community I saw. It looks like a segment of it, a small percentage but there's a whole range of skin colors, skin tones that don't get enough representation in the movie, and that's what I took away from it. I felt like I was always an outsider in Washington Heights, but I was much more comfortable in my outsider status in the Heights than almost anywhere else in New York City. Um, I felt like I belonged because I saw other various shades of color like me on a daily basis in the Heights. I didn't see that in the movie so much, um, and maybe if I see the show, I'll feel different. I just felt the movie lacked something. But hey, you know, I think it's a start, right? Um, and I also just wish I kind of had um, Crazy Rich Asians 2 at this point and not another musical. But that's just for my selfish reasons. I also feel like I may be the only person that's going to say this, but Anthony Ramos's hair I thought could have been better. <laughs> I feel like he would have spent much more time in the barber shop, right? Okay, so let's get into Instant Hotel. I've I've basically watched both seasons that are on Netflix in the last seventy-two hours. My husband and I started Instant Hotel. We watched way more of it than we intended, but. It's one of those shows where the stakes are kind of low, but the scenery is gorgeous. The cast is... It is the best 
assembled cast in any reality show. <laughs> I swear. Um, this is on Netflix. There are two seasons. It came out a couple of years ago, so you may have watched it already. But I was just kind of bored and I wanted to see what it was about. And the first episode we watched was actually from season two, which was a huge mistake. People argue that season one is better than season two. They're almost basically two different shows. There are a lot of changes that happen from the first season to the second. Essentially, the show is about people that have Airbnbs, but they don't call them Airbnbs. They call them instant hotels. And in the first season, uh, we meet Adam and Kathy. They're from Humpty Doo. <laughs> I just like saying the town Humpty Doo, uh, which is in northern Australia. You have five couples that all have Airbnbs, and they all rate each other's Airbnbs like as they stay there for uh, like a night. So we've got Adam and Kathy. They're from Humpty Doo. They're a lot of fun. Adam is super chill. He seems like a really cool guy. Uh, they have a pool, but it has no fence on their property. Uh, their attraction for their area is a croc tour. So they go check out this like crocodile that has no arms or legs. I think it's called Stumpy. <laughs> Stumpy the croc. Um, and it actually like sort of raises its tail out of the water. And you can you totally see that like the stump where it's like arm, I guess should be. Uh, okay, so that's Mark and Kathy. Then we have Mark. I'm sorry, that's Adam and Kathy. Then we have Mark and Janine. Mark and Janine are high school sweethearts. Mark has a massive mullet. They're from the Barossa Valley, which is one of my favorite wine making places. Uh, I love a nice Australian white wine. Uh, Sam and James are young, spoiled, rich kids. They're newlyweds. They don't drink much. She could be a model. She totally looks like a yoga influencer on Instagram. He's like a surfer bro with like no personality. He has a cute face, massive leg tattoo, but like no personality whatsoever. He's probably better like a better fit for uh, maths Australia. They're from North Byron Bay, which actually doesn't exist. <laughs> um, it's sort of like this made-up suburb that they they use for their for their area. Next, we have Brent and Leroy. They're the fussy gay couple. They're from Port Douglas. Uh, Leroy thinks he has impeccable taste, but he has horrible taste. He they have the taste of like the Golden Girls from like the eighties. It's it's awful, but. I want. I hate them, but I also am like them because they bring their own pillows wherever they go, and I am that guy that brings my own pillow wherever I go, <laughs> if I can, if it's like reasonable. Uh, next are Babe and Bondi. Yes, Babe and Bondi. Uh, it's a spoiled brat and her mom. They live on Bondi Beach, and uh, the interesting thing is, in this first season, they go through two groups of five couples so that was the first five couples and then in the second half of the season we get mikey and shay they are self-described socialites but i think they're kind of nobodies from like sydney or outside of sydney uh, i had to like look up what kind of socialites they were and i was sad to find out that shay is dead yeah yikes so lynn and simon um <laughs> swear that they're just friends but there's a little there's like a little too much touchy feeliness going on between them uh he works out a lot he's often shirtless and um like i said they always claim to be friends he gives off like hot daddy but like 
creepy Putin vibes. <laughs> uh, he also kind of looks like below deck sailing yachts Captain Glenn. If Captain Glenn was like kind of attractive, like sexy, it's it's so bizarre. Um, and then we have Serena and Stuart. <laughs> and Stuart spells his name S-T-U-R-T. Sturt. <laughs> um, these are entrepreneur besties. He's gay. She has a couple of kids. Um, she calls herself like a marketing executive, I think, but she probably just has like an MLM. Um, and then we have Beck and Tristan. They're siblings. They have a houseboat. They're super cool. I would probably like want to hang out with them the most. Um, and then we have Terry and Anita. And I low-key have a crush on Terry. Terry, I think, is like really hot. <laughs> In the second season, we get Jean and Sharon. And these are the second season is the first season I watched. So I but I feel like the season one cast is better. So okay. So season the second season is Jean and Sharon, uh, this older couple. They're crazy. We've got Jay and Leah. Jay is relatively attractive, and Leah is literally the most attractive woman I've ever seen on television. She's beautiful. She should be a model. She's great skin, beautiful eyes, good hair. Like She's like perfect. Uh, Raz and Mark. Mark has the most terrific beard I've ever seen. Uh, and they live in a cave. Like... It's a place called The Dugout, which is basically underground. And then Debbie and Justin are a mom and son team. Like I said, the stakes are super low, but it's like this... There's something about the interesting characters, the dynamic of the show. Uh, the host is kind of boring and inoffensive, and he wears really bad clothes in the first season. They actually get rid of the host in the second season and bring on another judge. But if you just want to like turn your mind off, I really think people should be watching Instant Hotel. I hope there's a third season because Australian reality contestants are just like the best. I kept repeating whenever the, uh, the Australians are talking, they can turn the word here into like six syllables. We've we got a pool here, 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 here. Sorry. I had a little bit of insomnia last night, so I also watched the encore, or I guess the title is BET Presents the Encore. I loved it. I loved it. It just, it reminded me of like kind of flavor of love era reality TV where it was just all about the characters on the show. And these nine former, well, eight former girl group, one ex-solo artist uh, in a house trying to make a hit record in 30 days on BET. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I know that Kendrick loved it too because we have, we have great taste, both of us. <laughs> Ain't that right? <laughs> All right, so the Encore, they're basically trying to pitch a super, an R&B super group. And they're going to have nine members which I think is too many members, but I think, you know, Korean girl groups have like seven members and that's fine, so whatever. Um, the first ones we meet are Fallon and Felicia. And to be honest, I don't know who they are. I think I've heard of the group Cherish and I think their single came out in 2006, uh, Do It To It, 
which I guess 2006 I was graduating from college and like moving across the country so I was going through a breakup it was like not like a music a good music era for me um Rafalan is giving me Rachel Lindsay vibes though and Felicia must be her twin sister like they look exactly alike so I did some research and yes they are all sisters like the entire band or the entire group Cherish were all sisters but these are twin sisters Fallon and Felicia and then we get Pam who calls herself Pamela Pamela Long from Total Pam was like the tough short-haired one that we all kind of thought was you know like mm. uh, <laughs> allegedly uh, but Pamela has changed a lot Pam, Pam has seen some shit y'all because um, only people that have seen some shit and gone through some shit come back like this uh, as like God-fearing, spouting Bible verse. It's it's a remarkable change. And she's also the only one that keeps her mask on at all times. And I think that Pamela is doing some like dissociative... Uh, what's that thing called? Uh, she's disassociating from her former ego as Pam, and now she calls herself Pamela from total not pam i don't even know who pamela from total is she's always going to be pam from total i don't like fallon i don't like felicia because she makes a crack that she wished that somebody under the age of 40 came into the house and that's basically saying that pam is like old as fuck and that hurt my feelings and then i realized damn yo i am old as fuck <laughs> fallon or felicia has a point a girl group of today really probably shouldn't have someone 40 plus in it unless it's like that peacock show girls five ever i only watched one episode i wasn't gonna pay for premium peacock and premium peacock that's oh mm. you better put some respect on pema miss pamela long's name the first of her name i think maybe who knows i should probably look that up uh one of three in total one of the most important all-girl groups in hip-hop history Herstory. Uh, I don't think kids today know just how dope Total were. Sitting Home is I Guarantee That Song. That's If you put that song on a summer cookout playlist, I will almost guarantee a good time. I, at least the aunties will appreciate it. I know they will. That's all that matters if you ask me. If the aunties are having a good time, if they're, you know, like grooving, then that's a good playlist. And, uh, Kima, Keisha, and Pam, they were like hard, tough, but sexy. <laughs> and that's tough to do, even back then. And even harder now. Hip-hop R&B, it's not, it's not uh, a great place for, for women at all. Um, it's rough. There's Janet Corio, there's Aaliyah Corio, and there's like Total Corio. And these are like three... These are like my three major R&B acts that re I really wrote hard for as a teen into my 20s. They're just like built into my DNA. Uh, Pam's voice is so... There's so much emotion behind it. Like there's a longing, a pain. Uh, go back and listen. Like, I'm just going to add some more. Her verse is one of my favorite of all time.
Nivea is the solo artist, and I, I mean, I, I remember her name, and then I was, like, I had to like Spotify her singles, and yes, I completely remember her from like the '90s, early 2000s. Shamari, <laughs> who I feel may be the most famous of the entire cast, if you are a Caucasian Bravo watcher, <laughs> um, because you probably caught her on Atlanta. Was she a one-season wonder? Maybe she made it to two seasons. Um, but I, Shamari actually, her, I don't remember much about her on Real Housewives of Atlanta. But here she seems to be like really relishing in the fame of, um, she might have one of the stronger voices. And she's still kind of young and probably has like dance moves uh could probably still perform stage presence all that stuff so like i said she might be the most famous in the cast so far i mean she might be white famous Ooh. aubrey o'day from danity kane danity kane's first two albums debuted at number one and they were the only ones to do that wow like they were so big for like three years um, Lamisha and Irish from 702 uh, are the next ones to come into the house. And I can almost guarantee that every gay boy that grew up in New York or that like lived during that era has played Where My Girl's At after a bad breakup. Um, it's just one of those songs that like <laughs> you take back your power. <laughs> I love that song. And I guess... Irish had a sister named Orish that was also like in the beginning of 702 when they started, but then she left the band, but she would also sometimes do substitute vocals for the band. I think we're going to get more into Orish's death. Uh, I think she had like kidney disease or maybe cancer later on this season, but for now, just know that Lamisha and Irish are probably the um, uh, supporting characters of the show uh we have keely williams from 3lw who i completely remember but i'm i'll be honest i'm a little too old to like know the cheetah girls i know the cheetah girls were like sabrina adrian raven and this girl keely but i don't know any of their singles i wasn't like a disney uh channel gay i was like in my 20s when they came out and by that time i was like i i can't i mean my girl groups in the 20s were like sugar babes spice girls swv uh jade brownstone <laughs> and vogue um cheetah girls were just like too young for me too juvenile i wasn't gonna get into like that and i'm glad i didn't so like i said pam seen some shit y'all and it's she's nothing like how i imagined she'd be and someone says so. And she's turned to God because she is an alcoholic. And I think this will not be the right place for her, this band. I think it's a little, I don't know. I'm a little concerned. Um, this blew my mind. I love shit like this. So Navia explains that her and little Wayne were a thing. They broke up. She got with the dream schlong. <laughs> they had kids. Uh, they got married. Then they got divorced, and then she ended up back with Wayne, and then she had another kid with Wayne. Uh, this, 
there were songs from like the Rolling Stones or like Eric Clapton about shit like this, right? This would be a great Lifetime movie, Lifetime Presents movie. So Fallon's going to be our shirt. <laughs> Fallon's going to be our shady narrator because every Carlos King produced show has a shady narrator and she's going to be it. So I'm here for it. I think she's joking, but Keely says that she's here to be the creative director and manage the group, not join it. Uh, okay. Uh, Fallon points out that she was in two failed groups. How is she supposed to be in a position to help the rest of this cast? Uh, Nivea finds a rice cake in the pantry. She's like on a mission to find some rice cakes. Maybe she's gluten-free. Who knows? Fallon interviews to the camera that there are ingredients to this mix, but absolutely no cake at all. I love that line. It's so funny. And after a good night's sleep, the twins realize that they overreacted, and if they want to keep their check, they have to stay in line and film the rest of the show. The vocal coach comes in the next day. Her name is Cinnamon, and Keely goes first, uh, singing Angel of Mine. Nivea sings I'm Every Woman. Nivea has, like, probably one of the better voices. Aubrey gives it a stab. Aubrey just is always doing her Aubrey thing. And yeah, I think Aubrey actually has a really good voice, but not in this singing, not in this singing segment. Pamela, every time I say the word Pamela, I'm like, who the fuck is Pamela? Pam does sweet thing. Uh, Shamari, <laughs> Shamari sings a safe and it's kind of funny. Um, Fallon sings Angel of Mine shakily <laughs> like her singing's a little bit shaky but she gets through it felicia has been eye rolling shaking her head all this time and then she finally sings and it's nothing impressive lamisha and irish are the last to go shamari says that she's a little shaky actually she's a lot shaky <laughs> i think irish is just supposed to be the pretty one i don't think she's supposed to have that much talent uh, and then they're cooking at the mansion, Elijah and Cosine, a singer-songwriter, uh, singer-songwriter and producing team show up. Nivea thinks Cosine is so fine that she wants to wrap her thighs around him. And I'm like, girl, keep your legs together. You, you, you've got checks for like the next few years. So like, chill. They talk about the vision of the group and Pamela wants something not raunchy, not sexual, Lamisha and Irish are the same, and Aubrey hates to censor her music. Yeah, I bet. Do you remember when Aubrey was on, like, X on the Beach? Or X on the Peak, maybe? Which one was it? No, she was on X on the Beach, because she was always running around in a bathing suit, right? Um, Aubrey's one of those people that I loved watching her on Making the Band. I did not like watching her on any sort of spinoff of uh, an MTV show. Aubrey wants to start two groups, one for the ones... <laughs> oh, wait, first we get the uh, choreography break with Aaliyah Janelle. The aunties obviously can't dance. It's that simple. The aunties can't dance, the young ones. If you're still in your 30s, maybe you still have some moves. This comes as no surprise. So Aubrey wants to start two groups, one for the aunties and one for the girls that can dance. We get a little bit more about Irish's twin sister, Orish. She died at 27. Um... Pamela is just so moved. She wants to drink a ginger ale. <laughs> Do you realize how crazy that sounds? Like, yo, I I want to get lit off of a ginger ale. Yeah. 
Um, I had no idea about this whole 3LW drama with uh, between Keeley and Naturi about this chicken bucket throwing, but I can totally picture her throwing a bucket of chicken. Things come to a head between Keeley and Aubrey, and uh, Aubrey has the best line of the... Well, one of the best lines of the night is that uh, Aubrey says that she's a chicken bucket thrower, and I loved it. It's funny. It's She gives great soundbite. Aubrey does. She knows how to do this. She knows how to be on reality TV, for sure. I was just thinking back on R&B stars of the past that I think should have been given a shot. And I keep thinking about songs like Missing You from the Set It Off soundtrack with uh, Gladys, Brandy, Tamia, Mona Lisa? That uh, Can't Be Wasting My Time Mona Lisa song from um, Don't Be Drinking Your Juice in the Hood while Sipping Something South Central? whatever that title is, that is still one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, Mona Lisa, whatever happened to her career, Nicole Ray, SWV, Brownstone, what, any of the girls from Allure? Does anyone remember Allure was one of my favorite girl groups. Uh, They were signed to Mariah's label, and I think I really liked Allure only because um, All Cried Out, that uh, song they did with 112, you can hear Mariah Carey in the background. She's basically singing vocals through the entire song. And that's why I love the band Allure. They were just, uh, yeah. I remember listening to All Cried Out by Allure and 112 on repeat over an entire weekend. It's such a Taurus trait, like one of my Taurus characteristics. After some closeted boy in northern New Jersey broke my heart, it was probably like 97, 98. And that song, just, I love that. I'm going to actually put that. Listen up. And that's probably the best line in the song. We've also got like Amel LaRue, uh, she was from uh, Groove Theory, brilliant vocalist, amazing singer. And then I was thinking, why not some like rappers like Charlie Baltimore, right? Like what's she been up to? Um, or someone like Shanice or the girls from Jeanne or the women from Jeanne. Uh, Changing Faces, Jade, like I'm sure they could still like make hits, right? So I'm super excited. Uh, I think it's on BE. I'm watching this on the BET app, so I'm not exactly sure when the episodes come out, but I think this is going to be one of my favorite shows of the summer. I can I can tell. <laughs> All right. Now let's finally get into what most people are here for. Let's talk about Top Chef. Top Chef Blind Ambitions is this episode. It's episode 11. So in Last Chance Kitchen, we get Byron beats Sarah, and then it's a win two out of three rounds against the Chef Testants to get back into the into the game. And then basically Gabe beats Byron, Byron beats Maria, but then Jamie beats Byron in the third round, so he's officially off the show. 
I wanted Byron to have another opportunity because I was able to get a second chance, but at the same time, I'm taking my second chance and making the most out of it. It feels fantastic, Jamie says. And it's basically the Fantastic Five. The final five are the Fantastic Five. Padma plays dumb, and I'm not convinced she doesn't know what happened at Last Chance Kitchen. So Gabe basically fills Padma in, and she looks great, as usual. But Padma would be an auntie, right? She'd be with Bali and, like, Nora and Artie from the Reality Is podcast. <laughs> like, we'd all be, like, side-eyeing and talking shit, like, from the sofa, <laughs> while all the kids are just partying and acting crazy, and all of us <sighs> older people, mature people, wiser people just kind of, you know, side-eye from the side. <laughs> it reminds me of a peep show, the black boxes behind Padma. And the Peep Show is one of the best slept on British workplace comedies of all time. If you haven't checked out Peep Show, I think it's on Amazon Prime. I love that show. Mark and Jez are the best toxic male friendship portrayed on TV I've ever seen. <laughs> um, you know, Mark and Jez kind of remind me of Carl Radke and Kyle Cook from um, Summer House. But anyway, uh, all over the world, so we're doing... You know, there are Top Chef versions all over the world, and this challenge we're doing it Top Chef France style. So Padma says that the quickfire challenge is, um, what does she say? <laughs> I forget. It's basically you have to taste the ingredients in this dark box and then basically cook the ingredients again. Um, and this, there's a guest judge uh, for this uh, quickfire challenge. He's in profile. He's hidden. He looks like a Batman animated cartoon villain. Uh, he's got a neck tattoo and really bad hair. We bring out Brooke Williamson, the quickfire queen of her season, and she's going to pair up with the chef testant that has the most wins. And I guess I thought that was Gabe, but I was wrong. It's actually Dawn. And even she seems kind of surprised by this announcement. She's won two quickfires and one elimination challenge. So... I guess Gabe hasn't done as well as we think he has. And then Dawn interviews that she's happy to solidify her position on top. Hmm. Padma says, please pair up. And the bros, of course, pair up. And then Maria and Jamie pair up too. So Shoda and Gabe are like immediately partnered up. Gabe, uh, Maria and Jamie are a pair. Padma says that they have 35 minutes for this quick fire. And like a relay race... One team member will wait outside of the kitchen while the other member will enter the black box. They have 15 minutes to taste the dish and then start cooking. After that, the second member of the team will swap for 15 minutes. And then in the final five minutes, both will be inside the box with the lights on to correct any mistakes. This seems really, really hard. So Shoda, Jamie, Brooke are up first. And I don't think I watched... Brooke's first season, because I think that was Kristen's season, but I did watch Brooke's all-star season, but I guess that technically isn't an all-star season either when she went against Shirley, because that was like eight new chefs against eight returning chefs. So confusing. Um, has anyone ever eaten in the dark? I don't think that's a natural way to eat food. Food is all about taste, smell, like you want to see it on the plate. <laughs> Eating in the dark, I would just feel like, I uh, it's just, I don't want to try it, of course. I'm not going to try it. 
I did not get good vibes from Gabriel Rucker, owner chef of Le Pigeon. <laughs> He's like straight out of central casting and in like a old timey gangster mafia movie. Most of the chefs in the Box of Doom can figure out that it's squab, carrot puree, pear. Some of them get like that it's mustard, um, but the pistachio trips most of them up, except for Dawn. But that that comes later. And did you see what I saw? Brooke is the Brooke Chef Brooke is the first one out of the box. Her fingers are covered in sauce, juice, carrots, all that jazz. She starts licking them clean. And then she's followed by Shoda and then Jamie, who also run out of the box, grab their ingredients. But do they ever stop or allow them to clean up and wash their hands? Because this is something that we were all told to do numerous times in 2020, and no one is stopping to wash their hands after, like, licking their fingers. Ugh. Brooke says that my goal really is to set up Dawn for the most success possible. I love this line. This line did not go unnoticed by me. Side note, Shota seems a little quiet in this episode. Or rather, we don't see much of him. We don't see much of Gabe either. But I want to say that Shota has a brilliant strategy. He's going to mise en place everything out so that Gabe will see everything that's been prepped, chopped, cut, diced all these ingredients laid out so Gabe can focus on cooking and they both work on presentation in like the last five minutes. And has there been a mise en place challenge this year? I love those mise en place challenges where they like cut five pounds of onions, julienne, uh, zucchini, dice some shallots, peel potatoes, but I don't think we've done any of that this year. The restaurant owner narrates that it's interesting to see where this goes when Shoda pulls out the beef, which does not belong on the plate, this huge beef shank. The other three come into the kitchen with Padma, and time is up. But with pots and pans still on the stove, I have no idea how this works. Chef Don, Gabe, and Maria now have 15 minutes to taste and finish the dishes. But there's still stuff cooking on the stove. It's like boiling, simmering, whatever... And it just all continues to cook while they're tasting? That seems a little dangerous. Anyway, so Dawn says, I have a really good palate. She also has a backpack with her. <laughs> Does she carry her knives in it? Because no one else has a backpack. And it, it just seems very jarring to see her like with a backpack. She can tell that it's carrot puree with mustard immediately. She knows there's something crunchy and textural, and she nails it with the pistachios. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> Top Chef music is great. It gets so tense and dramatic when Dawn starts chopping these carrots and pears, and then Brooke starts freaking out um, over on the side because she's already like started all of this stuff for Dawn. But there's no way to communicate. So Maria and Jamie um, have a pot of boiling water with carrots, and it's right next to Brooke and Dawn's pot of boiling carrots. But they can't communicate with each other but miraculously, everyone sort of figures out which pot of carrots is theirs. It made me scratch my head. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. I, I need to know like how, how this nonverbal <laughs> communication happened, and then how do you know that's your? Those are your carrots, and those are my carrots. Beats me. The the guest judge Gabriel seems very very impressed with Dawn after she goes looking for the mustard for her carrot puree, and um, 
I just don't know about carrot puree doesn't sound very appetizing to me. It's it's it 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 reads like baby food to me. When when I think of the word carrot puree, I'm thinking Gerber baby food. So, I'm not really into it, but there's a lot of puree in this in this uh this episode. So Gabriel says that Don and Brooke are the winners, but there's no prize. <laughs> I don't remember a prize at all. But it is Don's third quick fire win in a row. So I guess that's that's enough. Gabriel and Brooke wave goodbye. And I wonder where the hell is Nina Compton? I'm still waiting for her appearance this season. Not even a single sneak peek of her anywhere. Anywhere. Padma really is one of the best hosts of a competitive reality show on Bravo. And that's not an easy thing to do. I looked it up. She's been nominated only once, though, for Outstanding Host Reality or Reality Competition Programming back in 2009. Of course, she lost to Jeff Probst. She should have one, I think. She deserves an Emmy. She's doing a superb job. And, I mean, it's no secret that Padma was actually kind of mean to me once, like in person. (laughs) But I think she has such grace and she handles Top Chef so well. It's, It's remarkable. Brooke and Kristen surprise the chef testants with letters from home. And Brooke is such a mom because she says, remember which box is yours. <laughs> Maria cries, understandably. Jamie cries. And she has this great line about acid, acid, acid. He means limes. He's not talking about drugs <laughs> from her dad. Um, Dawn's letters from her brother Leroy. Yay, Leroy. She also understandably gets emotional reading out her reading her letter aloud. Uh, her, you know, her mom is recovering from a stroke. Her mom is also the single parent of five kids. Shoda's is <laughs> short and sweet. And he says it's because he has Asian parents. And man, that struck a nerve. I don't have Asian parents. Um, my mom is Korean, but my dad's black. But I get it. Like it would be like if my mom wrote me a note, it'd say <laughs> It'd say, like, love you, son. That's what my mom's note would say, probably. She wouldn't even dress me by name. (laughs) Uh, Gabe also gets emotional. I'm not going to talk much about him. He can be, like, the alleged problematic one of the episode. I thought it was kind of interesting that Kristen and Brooke hosted this particular tender, sentimental moment. I don't find either one of these chefs particularly warm or fuzzy. (laughs) But it was a really nice segment, really great. Uh, There wasn't a dry eye in my living room. (laughs) Elimination challenges prepare a dish using ingredients from your family's care packages, but you don't have to use every ingredient. So Jamie has chicken wings. <laughs> Obviously, they weren't mailed from Las Vegas, so these care packages seem to be sourced locally in Portland. <laughs> um, instrumental driving music plays. Maria says that she's going to make two or three chicken wings. And For real, I thought she was joking around, but she's totally serious. She's going to make wings at top five, and I kind of know that she's going to be a goner. No way Shoda's going home without another mention of his son. Don's been on fire lately, and it would be a huge upset for her to go home. Gabe is right at Don's heels performance-wise. Yeah. Shoda is doing a... Wagyu with Matsutake puree. That's a mushroom I've never had. It kind of looks like a king trumpet mushroom, I guess. And it's apparently a little spicy. Hmm. Jamie has never used a pressure cooker before. 
So of course it's the best time to use one now. <laughs> uh, Dawn's doing a tribute to Holiday, inspired by her aunts, her mom, her grandmother, and let me say, my grandmother. I learned so much watching my grandmother uh, cook in the in the kitchen. My grandmother lived in Detroit. Her mac and cheese recipe was like what really got me into food. A little paprika, blocks and blocks of government cheese. Uh, elbow macaroni, it really didn't matter what kind because the butter, cream, sharp cheddar, welfare cheese was like the icing on the cake and made everything taste better. I get a little bit fancy now. I add bacon, some shallots. But watching my grandma do her baked mac and cheese is probably one of my favorite memories of all time. I love, I love, it just reminds me of like being in Detroit and it was just, it's just comfort food. I've never had red eye gravy. Uh, that's gravy with black coffee. Huh. Maria does grilled wings with miso and ginger, bean sprout salad, and tequila, cilantro, vinaigrette. When an Asian chef says, I chucked the rice and it's dry and weird, I get so angry. So angry. So when Jamie says that and still puts her rice on her plate, I think, oh, okay, we have our bottom two. Jamie does braised brisket with caramelized Thai chili jus and pickled cukes. Shota does a miso marinated wagyu with matsutake puree and persimmon salad. I know everyone wants me to, but I thought for the most part, <laughs> most of these outfits are fine for Top Chef Portland judging outdoors. But Ed's hat, <laughs> he looks like a King of the Hill character, right? You guys watch that show. Um, I haven't watched that show in ages, but for the longest time, I thought Bobby Hill was the character I most related to on television. So strange. Uh, Dale's suit doesn't fit him. Dale Talday's suit's like really, really ill-fitting, but that's a given. So Gabe makes panuchos with braised pork, kale, and pickled red onions on a bed of fried masa. The judges say it's his best dish in his competition. That's a little frightening for me. <laughs> um, he like elevates this Mexican street food. Uh, but I also feel like Gabe was doing really well, but maybe not as well as I thought he was doing. I feel this praise is a little too high coming this late in the competition. And because of his problematic past, he can't win, right? But what if he does? Oh, man. Uh, Dale Talday's talking about Gabe's dish and says that this is lights out. Lights out, dude. Lights out. They leave it in. A couple, they leave it in. And he says it, he repeats it, so I'm nervous that this is the start of his coming from behind winning edit, and I'm kind of scared. Dawn does a pork belly with pecan caramel, collard greens, sweet potato, and red-eye gravy, but it also looks like there's a biscuit component on her plate. There's something fluffy and round, looks like it's dough, cut into two pieces. What the fuck is it? Like, no one mentions it at all. Melissa King praises Dawn's food, and Melissa's outfit reminds me of something my mom would wear. <laughs> Flashback. Um, it's this unstructured olive green sort of felt material. Uh, it's probably cashmere. Um, high collar. <laughs> it's so my mom. Uh, not the chambray shirt, though. She would never. Greg Gorday is in a black turtleneck. It's so Portland, but it's also gives me like Matt James vibes, and I don't like it. Kwame is in a beautifully tailored midnight blue 
velvet tux, I think. Oh, wow. Um, he says Don for president, and I agree. Like, Don should... Don, Don's fabulous. The tops are Don, Shoda, and Gabe. And since I've never tried mushroom pureed before, I want to do it because Kristen says that she wants to do it, and now I want to do it too. Kristen and Brooke announce Gabe as the winner. Kristen is in Austin. Gabe and Don are also in Texas. So I wonder if she knows why Gabe got fired from his restaurant for misconduct. Because I'm sure this is like a, a very small food network and um, they all talk. It's really surprising to me that how long they've kept this like hush-hush. He got fired after Top Chef wrapped for the season. So it's a little interesting to see him act like a decent, like stand-up, not shitty human. <laughs> the most astonishing pack your knives and go pack your knives and go happens when Jamie just can't get the words out and Maria encourages her to take a deep breath. Like take a deep breath. Just breathe. And she confesses that she's missing home and Padma is just so warm, so nurturing, and reminds the chef testants it's been a really long like time that they've been competing quarantine for the season i bet lat like took two weeks then the filming itself all the homesickness and like the loss of their restaurant teams their staff their friends it's like this bonding or this lack of bonding that they haven't had that's probably really taking its toll and i don't consider myself a softie by any means but watching jamie and maria really got me choked up as soon as there are tears in jamie's eyes and she points I lost it. Uh, she like She's like pointing directly at Maria. Like, you listen up. You listen up. It's, God, it's, like, it's like she's never said listen to me ever before. Because no one has ever really listened to her. And now that she has your attention, she's going to say what's on her mind. So you better listen up. And then the camera shoots to Brooke wiping tears away from her eyes on judging panel. And... Yes, like some hot water might have fallen from my eye ducts. <laughs> this, I think that Top Chef is really, really trying to win an Emmy this year uh, for outstanding reality programming. And I think that Padma as executive producer deserves it too. Um, I don't see RuPaul winning it this year. <laughs> and when Padma and Tom ask her if Jamie wants to quit, you can kind of sear the tears in Padma's eyes. It is probably one of the best moments in Top Chef history. <laughs> um, I want you to stay. I think one of them says, I want you to stay uh, when they all go back and inform um, the top judges, uh, the top chef testants who's leaving. Uh, Maria says, calls out Jamie for saying, this asshole tried to quit on me. And next week's... Um, so Maria goes home, but it looks like next week they're doing cheese and sea bass or like a cheese and fish challenge. And I don't like that. Uh, I know we get Dale. I know we get Ed, but there's still no sign of Nina Compton. And I mean, come on. Come on. I want to see Nina. Hey, all you problematics. Thanks for listening. Check me out on Instagram. I can be found at problematicpod. It's problematicpod. And leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Check you next time. Thanks for listening.